0: Hi,
1: my name is Ida, and my name is Deja, and welcome to Sad Girl Sunday.
0: Hello everyone, how are you guys doing? Welcome to another Sunday with the Sad Girls. Thank you for tuning in with us on Season 3, Episode 4. Just in case you guys forgot, my name is Ida, and Deja is also here with me tonight.
1: Yes, awesome. So last episode, we got to interview Carla Maldonado, healer and friend. And in today's episode, we are talking all about healing through art and artistic expression with our amazing guest, Sharon Weiss but before we get into the episode we would love if you could subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review if you're enjoying our episodes
0: so this week on the show we have sharon wise with us sharon is an artist advocate and activist that comes originally from Indianapolis and is now working for the District of Columbia. We invited Sharon on the show with us today because of her amazing artistic talent and for the various ways in which she uses art as a mechanism of healing trauma. We hope you enjoy the interview. Absolutely, we are so excited to have you with us today, Sharon. Yes, yeah, so if you could just quickly introduce yourself and let the listeners know who are you, what you do and where are you from?
2: Yes, thank you for that. My name is Sharon Wise and I presently live in the District of Columbia. I was born and reared until I was 9 years old in Indianapolis, Indiana. Grew up in Chicago, and I've been in the district for 30 years. During my um, life here in the district, I kind of, I well, just with all transparency, I was kind of sent here from the penal system because my life was, you know, filled with the all the bad things that can happen in a child's early life. I ended up going getting on the wrong path and um, getting in a lot of trouble, being a teen mom. I was 18. I had two children and they were both um, in foster care. I um, lost all parental rights to my children because of the drugs and going in and out of the penal system. And um, after I got out of jail for the last time in 90, they gave me the option to come to the District of Columbia to try to get a lifestyle or environmental change. And that's really where my my life began to change here in the district. I came here and I used all the resources that they allowed me to use in order to start getting my life back. But the thing that I had um, going for me all throughout my life, even when I started running away at nine years old and getting involved with, um, you know, homelessness and things like that very early in my teen years, I always had art. I always was an artist. I always was very creative. I always, I was the kid with the lemonade stand and had everybody, you know, doing the Temptations and Diana Ross, and I would make costumes out of things I could find, um, or they would bring me and I'd repurpose them and make things out of them, costumes and stuff like that. And um, that's kind of how I kind I got started um, with the art stuff because I always knew, even when I would be homeless on the streets or. You know, the drugs and jail, a mental health hospital and other types of institutions, the arts, the, the journaling, the writing plays, children's books, writing things, you know, writing about things I was going through, standing on street corners, doing one woman monologues and things like that. It was what was my saving grace. It was the thing, my go to drug really was the art and um, the arts, you know, kind of, you know, they really did save my life.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, I know you were just talking about how art has played a huge role in your life overall. And I kind of wanted to know what was the spark that really turned your art to focus specifically on healing?
2: Well, I think that it was finding out what type of art that I was doing. And I guess I was 25 or 26 years old when someone said to me, oh, you're a surrealistic artist i had never heard that word before surrealism i never knew what it you know um why the person looked at my art and said that word but i was glad that they did and then i had someone to look at pieces and say you know about juxtaposition how my art um contrast itself when it's standing by you know side by side how some of the pieces even though it may be a separate piece, it contrasts the previous piece, and I never really paid that any attention. And once I realized that I was a surrealistic artist, that my art was was really about me expressing some part of myself that I really couldn't explain, it made sense to me. And I I look back at five-year-old, six-year-old, you know, drawing pictures or painting and running home and showing them to my mom and my mom just being freaked out by them because she didn't understand why I didn't draw landscapes or trees or birds and things like that. My art was always very surrealistic, very deep and sometimes dark early on in my healing. It was dark. It was, you know, hangings or people in very odd positions that were not positive. I won't call them negative. I just say not positive. And when the healing began, where I understood that, you know, where the trauma was coming from, I started getting certain things addressed, the substance use got addressed. Then my healing became, my art became very colorful and very different shades and hues and and shapes and things like that. And that's when I knew that the art was tied directly to the healing because it totally was transformed from the lime and gray and black and White to the you know, hues of fuchsia and purples and greens and blues and royal and things like that.
0: Wow. Um, oh, also, your art, oh, sorry, sorry, what you're saying, Ida. Oh, no, I just I wanted to also just um echo, like for the listeners, how beautiful Sharon's artwork is. Um, thank you. Yeah, we got to see a few pieces before we. Uh, met for this interview and um I think you describe it so well the way you use the colors to kind of express I guess more emotions and um tap into something deeper than what meets the eye so I definitely um can see that in your work and I guess uh you know you also have other pieces outside of like traditional, like you know, art of like you know, pen and paper paintings and such. So mm-hmm. we did also see a video that you shared with us, um, Right. and so we wanted to know kind of like what were the challenges you faced when creating that particular video and that piece, and um, I guess like what like were some of the factors that eventually. Led you to the creation of that that specific uh, video and recording?
2: Well, actually, it go you know everything that I do is tied to the arts. Rather, it's performing arts, video art, um, video you know videography. If it's um, visual arts, um, I make costumes, I do backdrops, I, you know, it, you know, I write. Um, there's hardly any area of the arts. The only thing I can't do. And I have tried, not for lack of taking classes, and I've taken many, I cannot play an instrument. But all of my art is somehow a musician or someone singing or dancing or something. And I dance, I do different styles of dance and and making costumes and things like that, cutting wigs and that kind of thing. And, excuse me, when I started to, when I wrote Letter to Naya. I was really in a place where I was trying to heal that part of me that had surrendered my children. And I didn't, you know, early on when I first got clean from the drugs and I didn't have anything to run to, I just had myself and I had to face myself. I realized that, you know, writing was a, was a powerful tool to use to get it out and not cut anymore and not drug anymore, or drink anymore, or smoke cigarettes and all those things eat and all those other addictive personalities that come into play when one is healing or binding anxiety or that kind of thing. So I started writing and journaling. And before you know it, it turned into a play. And I ended up doing the play, it wasn't called Let It was it was called you know, Dinner at Tuesdays about this woman who was, had the challenges that I've had and it's won several awards. And, then that was variations of it. dinner at, you know dinner at Tuesdays because her name was constant Tuesday so it was dinner at Tuesday holiday at Tuesday it was just different variations of that play and then before you know it it's spent off and I started to write things about the children involved in Tuesday's life and that's where letter to Naya came from because Naya was my daughter that I surrendered she was six months old when I surrendered her and I lost all parental rights to her and um during the course of me, um, trying to find her, I kept trying to write her these letters to let her know why she ended up in foster care. And I never finished them. It was just different pieces of it. So I took that along with, um, dinner at Tuesdays and I kind of you know, combined them. And this was a 10 year process. This didn't happen overnight. It was a 10 year process. And, um, during the course of that, of me writing it, um, you know, the letters became the primary objective for the content and the narrative became, you know, the letters. And so I searched the world over looking for someone to produce it. I had to raise some money. I had to travel a little bit because even though this all happened in Chicago, I filmed it in Philadelphia because I couldn't get a permit to film under a viaduct or close anything off there. So we just kind of reenacted it. And then I did all the, you know, staging and directing and the and, uh, producing um, came out of Fresh Fly and Milk Boy did my voiceover. So I just kind of put the team together and that was a year and a half endeavor too. Um, before getting the actual um, film done. And then the script had to get tightened up and then we had to get the permits and all the stuff you had to do to shut off streets and bridges and stuff. And we got it done in three days and edited in two months. And now we have a 10 minute short and it's more of a short film than it is um, a video because that's really something different. But I do have many of those if someone Googled Sharon Wise on Vimeo or YouTube, you'd find a lot of videos of things that I've done speaking around the world and awards I've won for my contributions to the arts as well as other things.
1: Wow, thank you for sharing that. I mean, um, when I was looking at a letter to Naya, there's a part, where you touch on the impact of generational trauma. And you kind of mention the generations of women in your own family that have really had to carry almost the repercussions. And there's this really powerful line where you say, um, my children were in foster care because of what happened. To what to happened
2: my grandma. to my grandmother. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I just wanted to know when you had kind of come to the realization that general uh, generational trauma was playing such a big part in your life and your children's life.
2: Well, when I lost all parental rights, I saw that cycle Mm. getting ready to happen again. Or when my son came to visit me when when I was locked up and they was trying to let him touch me, but it was a plexiglass and he didn't, he's two years old, he didn't understand, why can't I touch my mother? Mm. And I remember going to places like that to see my aunt, to see my uncle, to see my cousin. And I just saw it all playing out again. And if I didn't get out of Chicago, I was going to end up, my children, if if I had gotten them back then, was probably gonna be a bunch of pimps and all the stuff that I was that I became because I watched my bro, my brothers and my uncles and my grandmother and grandfather and them be in that lifestyle. I did not want that for my children, so I knew that if I didn't get the help that I needed, if I didn't get my trauma addressed, that the likelihood that the the the, the data was showing me in an empirical study, meaning the life that I was living, that was empirical, I could see it, I could touch it, I could feel, I could taste it, that that was gonna be their narrative and I didn't want that for them. But once I changed my life, I began to see the connections when I began to heal. But not just heal, but really go deep. And that meant going back to school, You know, learning about trauma, learning about psychology, learning about environmental factors. I went back, got my master's degree, worked on my PhD, and I began to understand intergenerational trauma, vicarious trauma, secondary trauma, you know, direct single incident trauma, things like that, and became a trauma expert. And I traveled all over the country and abroad teaching about it. And I was able to heal in public and hear other people's stories to see how they contrast. And, you know, it, 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 you know, it, it was very clear. It's very clear that my trauma and my life happened because of what happened to my grandmother and probably my great-grandmother too.
1: Thank you for sharing that. Um, I know a lot of our conversation has really focused on art and um, it's tied to healing and the whole episode and the series that we're doing right now really is focusing on art and healing specifically for minority groups and we wanted to just pose an open-ended question to you in- terms of what ways do you think that art can be a source of healing for minority groups? I know you focus on a lot of different mediums, but has any really been more impactful than any other for you?
2: Well, I think that the art that's tied to repurposing and upcycling, I do a project called the Pillowcase of Hope Project. And what I do is I go around to the high-end hotels and get their gently use pillowcases because once they get stained or holes in them they want to throw them away mm. and my whole thing is people wanted to throw me away so all of the art that I do primarily is tied to some kind of repurposing whether I find sticks or leaves that I paint and turn into sculptures or so it's it, it's all about the, the 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 visual art is very very strong and for people who might feel discouraged or feel especially in, in our community, meaning the brown and black community, where there's a lot of things happening. I mean, we witness witnessed a lot of things in the vicarious trauma, that secondary trauma that renders you helpless because you can't do anything about it right now. Someone gets shot in their neighborhood. I mean, what could you personally have done about that? But I think that when you think about what's thrown away or that life that's thrown away or that's just lost for no reason, I tie that to the arts, and that's why I do a lot of things: recycled blue jeans and you know old t-shirts to make doggy you know clothes and things like that. So well,
0: I definitely can see how being able to use those objects as a symbol of the pain you went through um, could easily translate for people who might uh, understand or connect to that pain. But um, I wonder, you know, if you had any experience outside of just like referencing, you know, the hardships that you've gone through? Have you used art to kind of express the beauties that you have experienced in your lifetime? And um, what are some of those pieces if you don't mind sharing with everyone who's listening?
2: Well, I think that by virtue of me being an artist and being a creator, I put on art shows. I'm doing something um, this this uh, month for domestic violence awareness, where I'm showing pieces and showing people. But especially like with the colorfulness of it, you know, taking um, what you do and monetizing it, you know, by you know getting putting your pieces in galleries, being very assertive with just kind of, even if you do an art show on the street corner, that my art is all about healing and recovery and love and peace and wholeness. And it's not dark anymore. It's not tied to the darkness, but sometimes I do know that the backstory, the foundation of it started off dark, but now it sits in the light because it's not about negativity or, or anything like that. And my art has taken care of me. You know, my art hangs all over the world you know um and as a result of that i'm able to fund my non-profits and things that i do my humanitarian efforts so in that regard it's very it's a very beautiful thing so if you are an artist you know don't think that you know certain things just going to come and land in your lap i mean maybe you're blessed and that happens but art is to be shared is to be um cultivated by your current your your past experience, your current experience, and where you're going, it should be used as a launch pad um, to catapult you to other places and then be able to talk about it, you know, to feel it, just be soulful about it so it can embody you. And you can embody that, and everybody who sees it, they feel you when you created it and not even probably know you.
0: That's so beautiful. And if you, Have any pieces of advice that you would want to share with those who are maybe pursuing artistic outlets or people who are, you know, going through some of the things that you've gone through yourself, what would be that piece of advice you'd want to share with everyone?
2: Well, if you're an artist and you're just starting off and you might be, well, Sharon, you got a good job now and your pieces sell, and you know, you have money. Let me tell you something. Art spoil, I mean, paint spoils. So you have Sherwin Williams or Michaels or any place that has paints or paint supplies, art supplies. And because it's spoiled, they're quick, they'll give it away. You know, you have um, places like the Department of Energy and Environment. They have a department that collects paint and once or twice a year, they give it away. You have Forklift that's right there um, out Rhode Island Avenue. Um, that where you know Mount Rainier actually is where it's located, where they get a lot of things that people don't use. It could be a cabinet, it could be leftover metal, it could be leftover um, wood, things like that. Whatever your medium is, you can get a lot of that stuff for free. I love the thrift stores. I love the consignment shops. And I frequent them a lot because I like to find things that I could repurpose, blue jeans, t-shirts, you know, things that I could cut up and make other things out of them and sell them so I can finance my endeavors, you know. So I would tell people, one, don't give up. Two, you know, be creative. Three, if you're blocked, just start doing something and it'll come back to you. Um, four, never let someone tell you your art is ugly or I don't understand that. Why are you doing it? You just keep doing it because you come from the creator. So why wouldn't you be creative? And then finally, number five, getting yourself out there. You have to be your own stage. You have to create your own stage. Don't be afraid to set up in a park and do your craft. Don't be afraid to set up on a, a street corner or um, just anywhere um, where you can get visibility and do your work. You know look in the US art department, the, uh, DC has a commission on art. Um, there's grants all the all that's always. Where people are, you know, competitions and juried things um, that they have to, um, you know, for artists to get involved.
1: Thank you so much for that advice. I mean, I know you spoke briefly about the different organizations and nonprofits you're a part of. And I just wanted to quickly ask you I was looking at, I believe it was the um, WDVM Remarkable Women series, and they were discussing your organization around midnight. Um, and yes. if you could just tell our audience a little bit about what it is and also how it came to fruition because in looking at the Remarkable Women series it's said that the organization's been going on for about 18 years which is yeah amazing.
2: we just turned 19 years old on August the 27th
1: yeah wow.
2: and um, yeah it's around midnight It's we go out around midnight so we usually go out around 11 at night, you know, around um, 12 midnight or whatever for a couple of hours, depending on volunteers. We've been doing more stuff during the daytime now because we we adopted a couple of man' shelters. So we gotta, you know, our lift is usually a little lighter because we have some place that can receive a lot of the items that we get. But we started because I was once, you know, homeless. Mm-hmm. I was on the street with my children and that's how letter Denia came to be because I literally lived under a bridge. Mm-hmm. And someone helped me. And once I got my life together, I started wanting to give back to my community. So it kind of started off, you know, just, you know, street activism kind of thing. And now it's grown into Round Midnight. And also what we do is we bring um, resources and stuff and voter registration to people that live under the overpath. And some of you all might know Miss Angie who died She lived under that bridge on Pennsylvania Avenue and she was a good friend of mine I knew Angie for 10 years so we was doing things um under there once a month to bring some visibility to homelessness and we're going to be putting a permanent mural under there soon just trying to get the approval and a permit so I'm very attracted to that population because it's me it's me and my past and I have to make sure it doesn't become someone else in their future. So
1: thank you so much Sharon. I mean this interview, I don't know, but I'd have I mean I think I speak for both of us when we say we've been so appreciative of just getting a glimpse into the remarkable things that you've not only done but that you've lived through and that you're now able to
0: turn into various forms of art. So yeah, and various forms of healing for yourself and for the community that you impact. Yeah. So thank you. It has been a privilege to speak with you tonight. And we only wish the best for you moving forward. Thank absolutely. You so absolutely. I mean, honestly,
1: I would love if you could just uh, tell us a little bit about like where people can find you. So if they want to learn more about you and your story and all of the different organizations and nonprofits that you're currently a part of.
2: Well, they can go to Facebook, Sharon Wise on Facebook or Sharon underscore the artist on Instagram. But I also have a production, a full functioning production studio in Atlanta called Just Swag TV. And people can go on our website. They can order Just Swag TV swag if they need a photo shoot or a video drop or a commercial or want to shoot their own short movie. We do all of that in-house in Atlanta, so it's J U S S W A G G T V forward slash online, or just type in Just Swag TV on in your browser, and you can go back and see clips and some of my art. You could see some of the other things that we do around, um, you know, battered women and my sister's shoes and other things that we're involved in, or maybe you just wanted the block hat which is one of our um, television, our YouTube programs called the blog, B-A-B-L-O-C-K. And you can go to YouTube and watch episodes of that. So,
1: Thank you so much for sharing with us today. I am—I know that this interview has been amazing and I've learned so much, not even from the letter to Naya film, but also in learning more about you through the Remarkable Woman series and everything else. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time today to speak with My us. My
2: pleasure. And thank you listeners for listening. Keep listening. And I look forward to hopefully seeing some of you all soon. <laughs>
1: All right. Thank you again, Sharon. Honestly, for such an amazing interview. If you all want to learn more about Sharon, you can find their social media linked in the show notes of today's podcast episode.
0: So goodbye and thank you guys for tuning in and dissecting the concept of healing through the use of artistic expression and if you have any topics that you want us to tackle or you want to be on an episode of Sad Girl Sunday be sure to DM us because we want to allow people to share their stories and their truth. Yes, and as
1: always, you can listen to this episode and more on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and pretty much any podcast streaming platform. Do not forget to leave us a five-star review and follow us on Instagram at sadgirlsunday underscore. Have
0: a great Bye. night.